Welcome to Next Year on the Brands World Podcast. Brandon breaks down his week four NFL predictions and best bets. Brandon also looks back to what he said the Cleveland Indians will do in the 2021 MLB season, as well as this 2021 MLB predictions and what the Cleveland Guardians will look like in the future. And for the last part of the podcast, Brandon breaks down what he expects to happen this Friday and upcoming Monday in the WWE Draft. The biggest Brandon's World podcast since Brandon Love Bark Scroll Radio starts now. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gentlemen, you are listening live here to Brandon's World on this Thursday, September 30th. 2021, you hear that music in the background, the ending of the greatest entrance theme song in the history of wrestling, the rated R superstar, Edge, and that means, folks, it is time for the biggest Brandon's World in the last six months, today, right here, September 30th. 2021 is the biggest, the absolute biggest, Brandon's world since Brandon left Punk Show Radio since he graduated from Kent State University back in May. Folks, we have a ton to get to today, including, I am going to reveal, which is already on Medium by the way, but I'm going to be revealing in audio form my 2021 WWE Mock Draft. I am going to be recapping my 2021 MLB predictions as well as my thoughts on what the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians did this year and will do in the future as we look back to what I said before the season. And of course, we are going to get to my NFL predictions slash best bets for week four. But before we get started with today's podcast, if you would please do so, go to Twitter.com or go on your mobile device. Go to Brandon Lewis underscore seven on Twitter and give me a follow. Go to our show, Brandon's World, at real underscore B World, and go follow us there. Also, next week here on the Brandon's World podcast, we are going to be having an alternative schedule, ladies and gentlemen. Due to a scheduling conflict, I will not be able to record the podcast on Monday, October 4th. Therefore, this podcast, our usual Monday and Thursday podcast, is going to be re-altered a little bit next week. We're going to be doing a podcast on Tuesday. So Tuesday, we will recap all of the week four NFL action. On Thursday, we will place our best bets and predictions for week five of the National Football League season, as well as talk about wrestling and the MLB playoffs and all that good jazz. And then next Friday... October 8th, we are going to be bringing on Mark One Sports correspondent, Sean Fitzgerald. He was in the Indian slash Guardians press box for most of their own games this summer. I'm going to pick his brain, not only about the Tribe slash Guardians, what they did this season, slash the future of the team, but as well as I'm sure we will get into some Cleveland Browns and National Football League talk as well. Sean, I of course worked with him. He was my sports director at Bucks Girl Radio when I was the general manager last spring. So again, next week's podcast, we're going to be having three episodes, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And again, make sure you follow us on all social media. And of course, if you don't have a chance to listen to this podcast right away, you can get it wherever you get your podcast on Anchor, Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, and again, wherever else you get your podcast. But without further ado, let's get into it. Here are my week four NFL predictions slash best bets. And we're starting off today with the Thursday night football game between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Cincinnati Bengals. Of course, we know the Jaguars are looking for their first win. We know Trevor Lawrence has struggled the first three weeks of the season. We know the number one pick in the 2020 overall draft, Joe Burrow, has looked good for Cincinnati. The Bengals looked terrific last week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We know the Jaguars just traded away C.J. Anderson to the Carolina Panthers. They are really thin in the secondary. And to me, on a short week, and I think Urban Meyer still getting used to this NFL thing, this thing to me almost smells like a blowout. But, you know, Jacksonville, they're just not a very good football team, right? They don't have a very good offensive line. Urban Meyer doesn't run the football. 
and the Bengals, listen, as good as we think the Steelers are because they have such a good defense and they're a good organization, the Bengals' defense only gave up 10 points last week. So the Bengals are playing good, inspired football. They feel really good about their quarterback situation with Joe Burrow. Now I have no idea or not if T. Higgins is going to play. We know Tyler Boyd had a big game Sunday. We know Jamar Chase, the rookie out of LSU, seems like he can finally catch the football, eh? Uh, I'm going to pick Cincinnati at home. I would not be surprised if this game is either route or close, so I'm not going to bet this game. But I like the Bengals to go to 3-1, and, and I like Jacksonville to fall to 0-4. Uh, next game here, we got the Cleveland Browns going to Minnesota to take on the Minnesota Vikings. Now, this is a very interesting game to me because Kevin Stefanski makes his return back to Minnesota. We know Mike Zimmer knows Kevin Stefanski. We know he knows this offense. We know the Vikings obviously run a similar system. Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, you know, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Odell Beckham, Anthony Schwartz. You know, obviously Jarvis Landry won't be out there. But the Browns are still going to have Donovan Peoples-Jones, Richard Higgins. I think the Browns have the upgraded tight end room, you know, with David Njoku, with Austin Ooper, with Harrison Bryant. I think the biggest difference in this game is going to be the talent among the offensive line. I think the Browns have a good offensive line. Vegas apparently thinks the Browns are the better team because they are favored by two. I think this is going to be a very close game. Both teams run a very similar system, but the Vikings offensive line isn't great. As much as Kirk Cousins throws to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, he's going to need time to throw. The formula for these two defenses are going to be the same. Stop the run. Because Baker Mayfield doesn't do good when he has to throw on third and long, and neither does Kirk Cousins. I think this is a game that comes down to the wire. I think Chase McLaughlin kicks a field goal as time expires. Browns win, and it could be a pretty high-scoring game. I think both teams could get over 30 points. I'm going to say 33-30 Browns. This game, besides the Kansas City game, will be by far the most entertaining game the Browns have played in this season. The last two games with Houston and Chicago, for my taste at least, have been a little bit boring, uh, especially the second half of the Houston game, and then pretty much the whole game against Chicago. That was a bad watch. Unlike the Vikings, who are a great watch because they can't stop nobody. I mean, the Vikings should be 3-0, and and they're 1-2. So the Vikings are a better team than people think, but I still think the Browns, if they can control the line of scrimmage, if they can control the football, they will find a way to go into the home of Super Bowl 52 and pick up a victory. Next game, we got Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs coming off an embarrassing loss at home at Arrowhead to the Los Angeles Chargers. They're going into Philadelphia to take on my Philadelphia Eagles, who refused to run the football Monday night against the Dallas Cowboys. And that was an ugly, ugly game for my Philadelphia Eagles. And on top of that, we also watched the left guard, Isaac Samao, for the season with a Liz Frank injury. Jalen Ertz looked like a rookie quarterback Monday night football against the Dallas Cowboys. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. He was a one-read quarterback and the Cowboys were cluing in on it. The defense could not stop Ezekiel Elliott or Tack Prescott, and it was just a bad night overall if you were a Philadelphia Eagles fan. There's good news and bad news to this. The good news is, usually teams that get embarrassed on prime time bounce back and play amazing the next week, and they're at least a semi-good team. Of course, you look at the Miami Dolphins last week, they didn't win against Vegas, even though they could have, but they bounced back after getting blown out by Buffalo. And we think the Eagles do have some talent. Of course, Devontae Smith could be a talented wide receiver. Still Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson among the offensive line. Even without Brandon Graham, you still have Patrick Ox and Javon Hargrave who's playing at the top of his game at the defensive line. The bad news is, is what I said at the beginning, and that is that Patrick Mahomes is angry, the Chiefs are angry, you know they're hearing all the noise out there. The fact that they're one and two. The fact that they're last in the division. The fact that they're two games behind Vegas and Denver. And the fact that, well, they're probably a month punt away from being 0-3. And, and you know Andy Reid is hearing it. You know Patrick Mahomes is. You know Tyron Matthew is. You know Travis Kelsey is. You know uh, Tyree Kill is. So right here in the Kelsey Bowl between Travis and Jason, uh, Jason has never beaten Travis. I believe that that continues here, unfortunately, this season. 
I have a bad feeling about this game for my Philadelphia Eagles. Kansas City could roll here. I'm going to pick the Kansas City Chiefs. Next game, we have the Titans at the Jets. Now, I'm going to pick the, the Tennessee Titans, obviously. Uh, and I know the New York Jets have looked terrible the last two weeks. New England got to them, and Denver got to them. Those are two very good defensive coaches, though, in Vic Fangio and Bill Belichick. Now he's going up against Mike Vrabel, and I don't know if the Jets are going to be able to stop this Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, you know, attack the Tennessee Titans are bringing. But again, the Jets, they played Carolina really well in week one. The last two weeks, they've been blown out. Now they get their second game at home. Maybe they have a more conservative game plan at home. I think Zach Wilson is going to play better because Zach Wilson the last two games has just looked atrocious. In the last two games, the Jets have scored a combined six points. The Jets have a total of, um, let me see here, do the math, 20 points this whole season. That is atrocious. So, to me, the Jets, I mean, they are probably next to Jacksonville, the worst team in football. But I don't see this getting blown out of the water again like they did the last two weeks. I think they at least hang in there for the half. Now, maybe at the end you see the score and it's like, you know, maybe Tennessee 34, Jets 17. Or, you know, maybe Tennessee 27, Jets 16. Something like that where it's a double-digit victory. But I think for at least a half to midway for the third quarter, the Jets are going to be in this ball game. They're just not going to roll down and fold to the Tennessee Titans. Next game, you got the Indianapolis Colts and the Miami Dolphins. Now, I have talked at length about my thoughts on the Indianapolis Colts this year, how I love Carson Wentz, how I love Jonathan Taylor, how I love their defensive line with DeForest Bugner, how I love their offensive line. But then I said their schedule, man, to start the year. We've been talking about this a lot, right? At home against Seattle. At home against the Rams. Know, at Tennessee, at Miami, you got Baltimore looming in Baltimore. Week 7, Sunday Night Football, and who knows, this game could be flex. I mean, I don't know if anybody wants to see a one-win Colts team who maybe only get their one win against Houston in Week 6 against the Niners on Sunday Night Football, right? That's a very tough game. They could very well fall to 1-6. and six. So, for the Indianapolis Colts, it's a big game for them. We know Jacoby Brissett is going to be under center for the Dolphins. We know the Dolphins are well coached. We know Carson Wentz is still beat up. Listen, the Dolphins are 1-2. and two. They could very well be 3-0, and oh, but they could also very well be 2-1, and one, and they could very well be 0-3 oh as well. They lost a tough one to Vegas, and they, and they beat New England. And again, they really shouldn't have won in Week 1. So these are going to be two desperate teams. I think Miami comes out. I think Jacoby Brissett plays well. And unfortunately for Frank Reich and the Indianapolis Colts, I do not think this is their year. I think they fall to 0-4. Next game here, we got the Texans at the Bills. Now, Buffalo is getting minus 16.5 to Houston. Now, nobody thinks Houston's going to beat Buffalo, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on this game. But, man, didn't Josh Allen look great last week for the Buffalo Bills? Uh, that's a lot of points. I'm not going to bet it. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Buffalo won by that much, but I just don't like giving that many points. Next game, we got the New York Giants at the New Orleans Saints. Now, the Saints, this is their first game in the Superdome this season after Hurricane Ida. They are favored by eight. I am picking New Orleans here to win this game. I said I wasn't a believer in Joe Judge before the season. And I said I wasn't a believer in Daniel Jones. To me, the Giants fall to 0-4. They are a mess up front of the offensive line. Their weapons are depleted. Saquon Barkley is hurt. They're not going to have Sterling Shepard. They're not going to have Jerry Slate. Daniel Jones is going to turn the ball over against a very good Saints defense. As long as Jameis Winston, you know, keeps the turnovers down. As long as he doesn't turn the ball over. Cam Jordan, Malcolm Jenkins... You know, uh, Demario Davis. That Saints defense is going to be out for the Giants. George is a piss-poor football team. I wouldn't be surprised if Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, and or Daniel Jones out by Thanksgiving. This Giants team to me needs a total, you know, repair. Um, they basically tried to patchwork last year with the receivers that, you know, they're trying to convince themselves. Darius Williams the number two. And Sterling Shepard the number two. 
Galladay is a number one. Or in fact, Kenny Galladay is more of a number two. Evan Ingram at the tight end spot can't cut. Sterling Shepard and Darius Lane are more number threes and number fours. And uh, that they have the worst offensive line in football. So, and by the way, the most turnover for a quarterback in football. So it's not a recipe for victory for the Giants. Patrick Graham, their defensive coordinator, is going to try to keep some pressure, but they lost their great linebacker, White Martinez, for the season. Quite frankly, I just don't see how the Giants win this game. I'm going to pick the six. Up next, I got one of my best bets for the week, so pay attention to it. This is Washington at the Atlanta Falcons. Now, Washington is favored by one and a half. I'm going to take Washington by one and a half. I just mentioned this as my sort of Eagles against Kansas City. Washington also got blown out by Buffalo last week in a shocking upset. Remember, in my best bet, I took Washington plus seven against Buffalo. Folks, I saw what the Eagles did to Atlanta's offensive line in week one. Washington's defensive line right now is better than the Eagles' offensive line. If they could just get a little bit more pressure in the secondary, I think Washington will be fine. Taylor Heineke plays well. Quite frankly, I don't even think this is close. I got Washington rolling over Atlanta. So again, that's my first best bet of the weekend. Washington minus one and a half against the Atlanta Falcons. Next game, we got the Detroit Lions at the Chicago Bears. Now, the Bears are favored by three, and I do not understand this at all, folks. The Bears, they look atrocious, and I mean atrocious last week against the Cleveland Browns. They only had one net passing yard. They have no idea who their quarterback is. I don't understand how a team is favored by three points when you have no idea who your quarterback is and their offensive line cannot block a turnstile. And listen, the Lions were this close to beating the Niners in week one. They held a lead at halftime against Green Bay in week two. If it wasn't for a miracle, best field goal kick of all time by Justin Tucker, they would have beat the Ravens last week. So the Lions are getting close. And in a game where before the season, it looked like this was going to be the spot where Justin Fields came in for his first start. The Bears would have been more confident, but they wouldn't have won a lot of games, but they looked better than they did. The Lions were terrible. The Bears went into Chicago and rolled the Detroit Lions. Folks, the script, I'm here to tell you, is completely flipped. I love what Dan Campbell and his 80 ounces of coffee are doing in Detroit. So it's part of my second best bet of the weekend. Give me the Lions on the road plus three against the Chicago Bears. Now next game here, we got the 3-0 Carolina Panthers taking on the 2-1 Dallas Cowboys that very well could also be 3-0. The Cowboys are favored by four and a half. And what does that tell you? To me, Vegas doesn't believe that much in the Carolina Panthers. They've seen who they've beaten. I mentioned this a bunch of times, right? They beat the Jets. They beat a Saints team with 10 coaches out due to COVID. And they beat a Houston team. So Vegas is telling you, hey, listen, this team is not great. The Cowboys have an explosive offense. Their defense is getting better. And they think Michael Parsons and that Cowboys pass rush is going to get after Sam Darnold. I agree. I'm going to take the Cowboys to win their third straight game and go to 3-1. Carolina to lose here in Jerry's world and also fall to 3-1. And we get to the 4 o'clock games. And as a part of my best bets here for the weekend, I'm going to take Seattle plus 3 against San Francisco. The reason? Quite frankly, I just don't see Russell Wilson losing 3 games in a row. I watched the Niners week 2 against the Philadelphia Eagles. They did not look that impressive. They didn't look that good in the first half against Green Bay. They don't look as good as everybody's saying. I mean, everybody's got the Niners as like the top of the NFC with the Rams, with Tampa Bay. And to me, Arizona looks better. Seattle, we know they're going to hang around with Russell Wilson, with DK Metcalf, with Chris Carson on the offense side of the football. Now, we know their defense obviously needs work. 
But what does Russell Wilson always does? He always seems to lead. He always seems to carry. He plays well against the Niners. The Niners lose Robert Sowers, their defensive coordinator. Now it's D'Amico Ryans. The Lions got ate up by Devontae Adams last week. I think DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett have a day. And the Seattle Seahawks go on the road to Levi Stadium in San Francisco. And they knock off the San Francisco 49ers. And quite frankly, Levi Stadium has not been friendly to them. The Niners won 1-7 at home last year. They're about to fall to 0-2 at home this season. Next game here, we got the Cardinals at the Rams. Now, the Rams are favored in this game by 4.5. This is a very tricky line. And this is an underrated, in my opinion, best game of the weekend. I'm not going to bet this game. I am going to pick the Rams. But, folks, Arizona's a legit football team, okay? They got a great pass rush in Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. Maybe next to Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney. The best duo in the league in terms of pass rush. They have an explosive Offense with Kyler Murray, with James Carter and running back in Chase Edmonds, DeAndre Hopkins, a wide receiver, uh, obviously Rondell Moore, Christian Kirk. But I believe the Rams are going to use Jalen Ramsey to take DeAndre Hopkins out of the game. Arizona has struggled in the division, especially against the Rams and San Francisco over the last couple of years. Until that changes, I cannot pick them. But the Rams have looked explosive. They looked well coached over the first three weeks. They really dominated Tampa Bay in that second half. I don't know how great Arizona's offensive line is. We'll see how they contain the great pass rusher that is Aaron Donald. Uh, and until somebody stops the Rams, I mean, at this point, as good as they looked against Tampa Bay, until somebody says, hey, we have the right matchup to beat you, like possibly a San Francisco or a Seattle, I cannot pick them. I think the Rams are just slightly better than Arizona here. But this could wind up being the game of the week in the National Football Week. Next game here. Oh, my God, folks. I don't understand. Much like the Detroit line, this line is even worse. Can somebody explain to me how in the heck the Denver Broncos are favored by a point against the Baltimore Ravens? Okay, the Ravens. They beat Kansas City at home when they were down by 14 in the third quarter. They came back and beat Kansas City. They could have beat a 3-0 Vegas team. Yes, they they almost lost to a Lions team, but as we mentioned earlier, that Lions team is well coached. Denver beat the three worst teams in football. Giants, Jacksonville, and the Jets. You can't get an easier schedule than that. I realize it's in Denver, but folks... The Denver Broncos, more than the Carolina Panthers, more than any other 3-0 team in the National Football League, are about to be exposed this weekend. Give me Baltimore in a huge, big, blowout victory against the Denver Broncos. I don't understand this part of the whole Baltimore is going to roll. Next game. We got the Steelers at the Packers. Green Bay is favored by seven. And the only thing that worries me about this line is, as we talked about earlier, the Pittsburgh Steelers pride. The Steelers are one of the best organizations in the National Football League. What happens if they fall to one and three? And Ben Roethlisberger looks old again. And they get blown out by Green Bay. And by the way, this isn't in the snow and cold. This is in the nice weather in Green Bay in October. Do they make the switch? Do they go to Mason Rudolph? Do they go to Dwayne Haskins? Because without T.J. Watt, they couldn't get a hand on Joe Burrow. Without Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson is the only, and Deontay Johnson, excuse me, uh, Chase Claypool is the only wide receiver on that team that can get open right now. That's why they had to throw to Najee Harris 14 times in Week Three against Cincinnati. I think this is a great matchup for Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers looks really good. He looks locked in. Give me Green Bay at home. And finally, the game we have all been waiting for, folks. Sunday night football, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Tom Brady going back to New England, favored by six and a half. I have been on record for the last two weeks. I believe, some way, somehow, New England finds a way to win this ballgame. Listen, I think Bill Belichick is going to coach his absolute 
ass off in this game. Now, you know Tom Brady wants to win, but you know Bill Belichick really wants to win. Because, listen, New England was embarrassed more than Tampa Bay last week because, you know, a lot of people were picking the Rams to beat Tampa Bay. Everybody was picking New England to beat the Saints, and they were embarrassed. Embarrassed with the Saints' last game in their hotel. The Saints were tired. They haven't been at home in a month. And they embarrassed. They mollywhopped New England in New England. New England is now 0-2 at home. When the hell has that ever happened? Uh, and you know Belichick is going to want to prove that he doesn't need Brady. You know he knows the whole world is watching. You know he's going to scheme up against Rob Gronkowski. And I know the logic. Listen, does New England have the personnel to take out every single one of Tampa Bay's uh, personnel, you know, receivers, tight ends, running backs? Absolutely. No, they do not. But Bill Belichick knows that. You know he's going to get pressure on Tom Brady up the middle with Dante Hightower and those linebackers because Bill Belichick knows that's where Tom Brady is exposed. You know he's going to want the. You know he's going to want to run the football, and you know Belichick is going to throw something at Brady he's never seen before because those guys just know it. And my goodness, let's just sit back. Let's enjoy this wonderful ride we're about to watch on Sunday Night Football. But I'm going to take New England here plus six and a half as my final best bet of the weekend. I think they win outright here. I am predicting them to win this ball game Again, some way, somehow. I think Belichick just figures Brady out tonight. Now, Monday Night Football, we got the Raiders at the Chargers, and I think this is where Vegas follows, man. I think Justin Herbert coming off that big one against Kansas City bounces back in a big way. The Chargers get to 1-1 one one in SoFi on Monday night. It's pretty weird for Vegas, who has two Monday night games in the first four weeks of the season. I don't think I've ever really heard of that, to be honest. But Vegas has trailed by 14 points against Baltimore. They trailed by 14 against Miami. They're falling, but I know why. Yes, they're winning. And yes, Derek R. and John Gruden are great. And yes, they're getting a pass rush with uh, Max Crosby, with Carl Nassif, with Ganeek and Dakwe for the Raiders. But their offensive line is still a patchwork. I think Joey Bosa takes on Weatherwood a right tackle for Vegas. I think Joey Bosa has a big night. And I think the Chargers walk away with the victory on Monday Night Football. So as a reminder, I have Cincinnati at home over Jacksonville. I have the Browns on the road against Minnesota. I have the Chiefs at Philadelphia. I have Tennessee at the Jets. Miami will beat Indy at home. Buffalo will beat Houston at home. New Orleans will beat the Giants at home. Washington will go on the road in one of my best bets. They will cover at Atlanta the minus one and a half. Detroit will pull the upset. They are plus three against Chicago. Dallas will beat Carolina at home. Seattle will take the plus three. They'll go into San Francisco. They'll win. The Rams will win at home against the Cardinals. Baltimore will go into Denver. They'll take the plus one, and they will make the Vegas makers look stupid by slaughtering the Denver Broncos. The Green Bay Packers will win against the Steelers at home. New England will take the plus six against Tampa Bay and somehow beat Tom Brady in New England. And the Chargers will win at home against the Raiders. So again, you know, just as a quick little recap here for my best bets. It is Washington minus one and a half. Detroit plus three. Seattle plus three. Baltimore plus one. And New England plus six and a half. I do like four dogs this week. I have went two for five in my best bets the first three weeks of the year. So I'm 40%. Six for 15. In order to get that percentage up, we need to go three for five this week. Hopefully we do. I feel really good about Seattle, Washington, and Baltimore to at least hit those three. Last week, I went 10-6 overall, just picking straight up. I'm 28-20 now on the year. And after starting in 7-9, I will take that. All right, folks, and we are back here on the Fringe Wolf Podcast, and it is time. It is time to talk about some baseball. Now, let me first recap what I thought was going to happen to our beloved Cleveland Indians this season. I thought at the top of the lineup we would begin with Cesar Hernandez in second base. I thought Andres Jimenez would have a great year at shortstop in the number two hole. Number three would be Jose Ramirez at third base. Number four would be Eddie Rosario in left field. Number five would be Fronmil Reyes at D-Gate. Number six would be Josh Naylor who would be spinning time between first base and right field. 
At seven, you could put, you know, either the catcher, whether that would be Roberto Perez or Austin Edges against a righty or, or excuse me, against a lefty, or you could put Jordan Lupo, who was coming back, you know, in center field or right field against a lefty. You could split time between Bobby Bradley and Jake Bowers at first base, and then center field of the nine spot could have been anywhere, you know, could be Ahmed Rosario some nights, could have been Bradley Zimmer, could have been Oscar Mercado. Of course, Zimmer and Mercado both didn't start initially on the 26-man roster. Ben Gamble, if you remember, was given some run in center field. I thought center field was going to be the position the Indians were going to upgrade at the trade deadline because I really liked Cesar Hernandez at second base. I thought Andres Jimenez was going to hit better at shortstop. We knew Jose, Eddie, Fran, Mio, and Naylor were pretty much locked in three through six. I said those were going to be my biggest keys to the season. And then, you know, we knew about our starting rotation with Shane Bieber, Aaron Zavalli, Zach Puizak, the big three of the top of rotation. You added a young stud in Tristan McKenzie at the number five spot. I thought we had four of our five kids locked down. The only one I wasn't sure of was the lefty. Uh, and that was Logan Allen, who started the year as the number four starting pitcher in the rotation. I thought it should have been Cal Quantro. I thought it was going to be coming out of spring training. But, of course, Cal Quantro struggled in spring training. That's why Logan Allen got that spot. And then what happened? Well, the starting rotation fell apart. Uh, every one of your five-man starting rotation leaving before the start of the All-Star break pretty much kills your season. And then Frontmill Reyes got hurt early. Roberto Perez got hurt early. Andres Jimenez could not hit early. Josh Naylor got off to a little bit of a slow start. Eddie Rosario got off to a little bit of a slow start. And combined with the rotation issues, the bullpen had to really carry the world. And I mean Emmanuel Quasay, James Karinchek, Nick Wickren in the back. They were sporting time, remember, between the three of them early on for the closer spot. And Quasay eventually took over. But the Indians made a lot of changes from this opening day lineup to the end of the season. Of course, Cesar Hernandez is no longer with the team. He got dealt at the deadline to the Chicago White Times in a deal that I did not love. Andres Jimenez spent a lot of time in Triboy. Now he's back up because of all the injuries, playing mostly second base. Because Ahmed Rosario, who we were trying out in center field because there wasn't a spot for him because we liked Ahmed as a shortstop, is now the everyday shortstop. And he hit better than Francisco Lindor this season. The Indians had an upgrade, believe it or not, at shortstop this season with Ahmed Rosario over Francisco Lindor, which I also called, by the way, early on in spring training. Jose Ramirez was a big fixture at third base. Obviously, we were out on the deadline with Eddie Rosario in left field. He pretty much got replaced by uh, Ramirez, uh, who, you know, in my opinion, he can hit a little bit, but he's not great. Uh, Aaron Ramirez, Frontmill Reyes at DH came on, but the big injury was to Josh Naylor, losing him, and he could be washed, by the way. For all of next year as well, he would be utility with first base and right field. You pretty much lost that utility that forced the Indians to call Bobby Bradley early. Now, I thought they were going to get rid of Jake Bowers eventually, and they did. Bobby Bradley looks to be settling in in that first base position. But the Indians at the deadline, they did solve their center field spot. They did end up going with Miles Straw. They made the trade with Houston. Of course, sending Phil Maton to Houston, getting Miles Straw to solidify that center field position. And now, you take a look at next year's team, and this team is going to be very similar. To me, the top of the lineup, you're going to have Miles Straw. He's going to be your fixture center fielder. Then, in the number two hole, you're going to have a mid-Rosario. Now, whether that is second base or whether that is shortstop, we don't know. I prefer to put him, you know, keep him at shortstop because he's so good there, but the Indians may, you know, decide to move him to second base. Take a look at Jose Ramirez. I think he's going to stay at third base in the number three hole. To me, the number four hitter will be Frontmill Reyes. He will be the DH. He's one of the best DHs in baseball. Now, this is where it gets tricky. Because at number five, you have the opportunity here to do something. 
if the Indians wanted to, in my opinion, they could make a trade, and I think they're going to. They have a bunch of young kids in the farm system, whether it's Owen Miller, whether it's Ernie Cormack, whether it's Oscar Mercado, Bradley Zimmer. They got to make some decisions on these kids. You know, and I think if Josh Nayward's ready, he's going to be a determination on this as well. Because as much as I think Bobby Bradway is the first baseman of this team, we know Miles Straw is the center fielder of the future. We know the infield pretty well, right? We know it's going to be Jose Ramirez, Bobby Bradley, Ahmed Rosario. We know Roberto and Austin Edges are going to be catching behind the plate. The Indians have to make a decision with left field. And to me, it's going to be, do you want to, it's going to come down to, do you want to keep Errol Ramirez in that spot? Or to me, I would put, you know, Zimmer at least maybe in right field till Nayward gets back. And then you go out, you make a trade for a left fielder. And who knows? Maybe next year the trade deadline, Josh Nayward's no longer on this ball club. But the Indians, if we do have a lot of decisions to make, there's a lot of decisions in the outfield, man. Again, is Bradley Zimmer going to be your right fielder? Who knows? He's in for some hour, but is he going to be consistent enough? And to me, though, the jewel of this team is their starting rotation. You get Shane Bieber back, you get Aaron Savali, you get Zach Pleszak, you get Al Quantrill, you get Tristan McKenzie. Those five, they could all legitimately be starting five aces to me in any rotation. That's how well they pitch. The Indians currently have the best rotation in baseball going into 2022. All right, folks, and now let's take a look at my 2021 MLB predictions recap. In the AOEs, I had the Yankees number one, I had the Rays number two. I had Toronto number three, I had Boston number four, and I had Baltimore number five. Obviously, I underrated the Rays a little bit. I didn't think they were going to be as good as they were. But I think I'm pretty right on that Yankees, Rays, Blue Jays, Red Sox. I just got the order wrong. I knew Baltimore, obviously, would be in last place. You take away the AL West. Now, I got the up two right, right? I got the Astros and I got the A's who are fighting with Seattle. I didn't expect Seattle to be as good. I picked them to be in fourth with the Angels in third. We know how well Otani did this year, but it wasn't enough. They watched Mike Trout, obviously, early in the season. Texas, I knew, was going to be in the basement. In the NL East, I knew Miami was going to be in the basement, but then I got this division completely wrong, man. I had the Nationals winning the division, followed by the Phillies, the Mets, the Braves, and the Marlins. It was a complete whip by me to me. I thought the Nationals with a veteran roster were going to be better than they thought. I wasn't in love with Philadelphia, but I was for sure not in love with the Mets, just like I wasn't in love with the Padres. I'm going to play that clip for you guys here in a second. But again, I had the Nationals winning the NL East. In the NL Central, I pretty much nailed this division. I got Milwaukee in first place. And Milwaukee was going to be a very good ball club this year. I had St. Louis in second place winning that second wild card spot. I had the Cubs, the Reds, and the Pirates. So I flipped the Reds and the Cubs. I didn't know the Cubs were going to sell other pieces of the deadline. I said Cincinnati wasn't going to be as good as people think, though, and I was right on that. And out west, we had uh, the Dodgers, Padres, D-backs, Rockies, and Giants. So, yeah, I completely missed. I thought the D-backs were going to be better than people thought. They're the worst team in baseball. I thought the Giants were going to be the worst team in baseball. Guess what? They're the best team in baseball. Yeah, I'm just going to skip over that. Colorado's just a random team in the fourth spot. And then in the AO Central, I thought the Eway Jimenez injury was going to do enough for the White Sox to move out of the division. I was obviously wrong about that, but I didn't know about the Indian rotation struggles. I thought Minnesota was going to be good this year. I had them winning the division with the Indians in second, the White Sox in third. If you flip Chicago and Minnesota, I was pretty right on that. My AL standings at the end of the year. I had the Yankees in first place, having the best record in baseball. The number two seed was the Houston Astros. The number three seed, the Minnesota Twins. I had the wild card matchup being the Indians at Tampa Bay. In that wild card matchup, I had the Indians over the Rays. In the divisional round, then I had the Yankees over the Indians. I had Houston over Minnesota. That would set up an ALCS matchup between the number one seeded Yankees against the number two seeded Astros. I had the Yankees winning that battle with the Yankees representing the American League as the number one seed and the best record in baseball in the World Series. 
I love the Yankees lineup this year. Obviously, the, they couldn't hit before the deadline. That's why they had Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo. Now I love them even more. I love them better than Tampa, even though Tampa Bay is at their number. I think the Yankees' bullpen is good. I think they're going to be taking advantage of that in the postseason. You obviously have Houston in there, who I think is still a very good ball club. Now, I don't think the White Sox are better than Houston. I think they're going to be eliminated by Houston. And I think we will see a Yankees-Astros ALCS, but Houston will get the home field advantage. But, hey, if the Yankees still make the World Series, that would mean my pick would be correct. Now, in the National League, before we start here with the National League, uh, editor here, go ahead and roll this clip. Now, I believe one of three things will happen. One of these teams this year will flop on their face. The Angels, the Mets, and the Padres. I believe the Mets and the Padres both could flop on their face. I've never loved the idea of spending money in baseball. You look at the Nationals. They got rid of Bryce Harper two years ago. It was a struggle at first. They were under 500 in July, folks. And they won the World Series without making any significant moves at the trade deadline. And why is that? Because they got hot at the end of the year. Because they trusted their veterans. They had a lot of depth because they didn't end up a Bryce Harper 13 years, whatever that is, $400 million. It's just insanity. So I have always trusted the Nationals organization. I think they've always been a good organization. And I don't know if the spending spree by the Padres and the Mets are going to work out. Yes, folks, I was completely right on the L.A. Dodgers, or excuse me, on the New York Mets and the San Diego Padres. I said they were both going to fall. And as well as the Los Angeles Angels, I thought those were going to be the three biggest teams to flop on their face in baseball this season. I'm not a big believer in spending money on guys like Atis Jr. and Francisco Lindor and, you know, all the other guys the Angels have spent money on, not named Mike Trout. But I had the St. Louis Cardinals basically coming out of the National League in the uh, wild card. Now, I did think the Padres could make the playoffs, but I predicted them to flop, obviously, to the Cardinals. There was a lot of big expectations for the Padres. I had the Cardinals beating the Dodgers in the divisional round. I had Milwaukee defeating the Nationals in the NLDS. NLCS then, I had a divisional matchup here between the number five-seeded Cardinals and the number three-seeded Milwaukee Brewers with the World Series being the New York Yankees over the St. Louis Cardinals. And finally, folks, today, do-do-do-do-do, it is time for my mock. WWE Draft, of course the WWE Draft starts on Friday, October 1st, and concludes Monday, October 4th on USA Network, so without further ado, let's get to it, you can read all of my predictions on Medium as well, follow me on Medium, that link is in the description below, with the number one pick to kick off the WWE Draft, I am selecting Universal Champion Roman Reigns to go to Friday Night Smackdown on Fox. And again, to kick off this draft, WWE needs to book a champion versus champion match, in my opinion, between WWE Champion Big E, Universal Champion Roman Reigns. The winner will get the brand's number one pick in the draft, and after interference by New Day and the Usos, Reigns will eventually take advantage of the Usos' distraction, spear Big E for the win, giving the blue brand the number one pick. And of course, Fox is going to reward the Tribal Chief by selecting him number one overall because he is the guy in WWE. It's an absolute no-brainer. There's no way Reigns is not going number one overall in this draft. Now, to me, the number two pick of the whole draft is going to be the WWE Champion Big E because Raw will counter to make sure there's a world champion on Monday night. The third pick here coming from SmackDown is interesting. I'm going to pick the Uso, the current SmackDown Tag Team Champion. My reason here is because you would think with how big of a say Reigns has on SmackDown, he's going to want to ensure the bloodline stays together. Without the bloodline, there is no out of the table, and Fox knows it. So what does USA do on Raw? They're going to counter with RK Bro. Now there's an argument to be made here that the New Day should get so much to ensure they stay behind Big E and the WWE Championship. But USA probably figures to me they can get them a little bit later in the draft. They need to make sure the Raw Tag Team Champions stay on Monday nights. 
So with the final pick of the first round, SmackDown is going to select their woman's champion, Becky Lynch. Because Fox knows how big she is to audiences, they're going to want to ensure Big Time Bex is a big feature of their program for the next year. The SmackDown Women's Champion cannot end a Monday night, so that's why SmackDown uses their last first round pick on the franchise of the women's division. Now, moving on to round two. And again, because Monday Night Raw gets three picks and SmackDown gets two, Raw from now on is going to start off every single round. And in my opinion, if SmackDown takes Becky Wentz as SmackDown Women's Champion, Raw is going to have to bounce back with Charlotte Flair, the Raw Women's Champion. Now, up next, this will be the first swap of superstars of the night. I predict in round two with the second pick, SmackDown is going to select Drew McIntyre. Uh, I believe the Fox executives know he's been struggling on Raw, but they feel a fresh start on Friday nights will revitalize the man who absolutely carried Monday Night Raw through the Thunderdome era. So Raw responds then to me with Bobby Lashley. Pissed about losing McIntyre to Friday nights, Raw makes sure he doesn't lose the former WWE champion. SmackDown then goes ahead and selects Seth Rollins. Over the last decade, Rollins has been one of the most trustworthy superstars in the whole company. He's an household name who's rarely injured. He's a good veteran to have. Of course, his wife, Becky Lynch, is the SmackDown Women's Champion. And he's after the Universe Champion, Roman Reigns, as we know. This is a no-brainer for Fox. And with the last pick in the second round, Raw is going to select Bianca Belair. Knowing they have back-to-back picks now at the end of a round and the start of a new one, the Raw and USA executives can be a little bit more careful with their selection. Bianca Belair's run on Raw in 2020 wasn't successful, but she's really found her footing on SmackDown over the last year, and she became a star when she won the Royal Rumble in January and eventually the SmackDown Women's Championship at WrestleMania. Charlotte didn't really have any credible challengers over the summer, and Belair will change that in a huge way. A Raw Women's Championship WrestleMania encounter to me between Belair and Flair is now on the table, and USA gets revenge on Fox. Obviously, Fox taking Drew McIntyre over. USA said, okay, give me Bianca Belair. Moving on to round three. This is where Raw is going to select Kobe King and David Woods. Raw has waited patiently, and they are able to grab them here at the start of round three. For SmackDown, they are going to go ahead and get the boss, Sasha Banks, still on the blue brand. Again, losing Belair is a huge blow to them, so they have to make sure they get another star to go alongside the man, and that is the boss. Now, to make Bianca Belair happy, she's moving over to Monday nights. Raw will also select the Street Profits, who have done everything they could on Monday nights. It's time for a change, and an RK Pro Street Profits feud would be amazing for the Raw Tag Team Championship. On next, SmackDown is going to make Pat McAfee happy, and keep Shinsuke Nakamura, the Intercontinental Champion, on Friday nights which means Raw returns the favor at the end of round three and takes Damian Priest the United States Championship. So at this point, the United States title, the Raw Tag Team Champions, uh, the WWE Champion, uh, and the Raw Women Champion are all staying on Raw, as well as all the belts are staying on SmackDown where they are. Heading into round four, this is where things get juicy because in a shocker to everybody, Brock... Lesnar is still on the board. The Raw and USA executives fall out of their chair when they see this and they grab Lesnar as fast as they possibly could. Now Paul Heyman can keep Reigns and Lesnar happy by managing them both. And Lesnar can target to each Indian Big E after failing to capture the Universe Championship from Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel. Raw lacked a legitimate big star that can go against Buddy Lashley during his WWE Championship ring. And now they have one in Lesnar. Lesnar will be a huge boost for the red brand. Up next, losing out of the beast incarnate may hurt Fox, so they respond with Jeff Hardy, who looks like a broken down, sad version of himself in between the red ropes on Raw. But in 2020 on SmackDown, he was a big fixture and relevant. Fox is hoping he finds himself again. So Raw turns around then and takes Edge away from SmackDown. And Raw knows the rate of their superstars are 
but they got some intel. We'll be back here soon. And just like Wesner, Edge may not be around every week, but he's going to bring a shot in the arm to Raw I didn't have early on in 2021. Edge versus Lashley at this point. Again, they're both on the same brand now. Would be a match I'd love to see. Now, SmackDown will then turn around and eat Finn Bauer on their brand. Look, SmackDown just brought Bauer back in July. Even though he failed to take down the Tribal Chief at Extreme Rules, he's a great worker and a popular superstar, much like Jeff Hardy. And after losing Edge and Lesnar to Monday Night Raw, SmackDown makes sure that they do retain the Prince. So, Raw... Now that no women have been picked in this round, with all four picks of the fourth round being focused on men, Raw changes that with the number five pick by selecting the women's tag team champions, Nikki A.S.H. and Rhea Ripley. They, Raw knows they won't be champions for the whole year, but both superstars are good value to the women's division regardless. So then Raw in round five with a back-to-back pick turns around and selects the former NXT champion, Karrion Cross. The USA executives have watched him since he debuted over the summer, and they see real potential in the former NXT champion. They know it may be a little bit of a reach here, but they are not risking him to Fox and the USA Network. Up next, SmackDown breaks up AJ Styles and Amos, and they only take Amos. And again, they have just watched Brock Lesnar and Edge move from Fridays to Mondays. They're not happy. They just saw Raw use a relative eye pick on Gary and Cross, and they see an opportunity to pick a gem here in almost without the phenomenal one by his side. The seven foot free freak of nature is a guy the Fox executives have targeting, and they push him to the moon over the next year. I see him potentially being in a universe championship feud with the tribal chief. Up next on Raw, keeps AJ Styles on their brand. They know Styles is a pawn that SmackDown took Amos and not the man that built SmackDown Live. And he's going to have a great year as a singles competitor on Raw, taking on the likes of Edge, Bobby Lashley, Big E, and Brock Lesnar. Up next, SmackDown thinks this is a good time to secure the third woman of the night. They're going to pick the superstar who used to play with Dolls. It's going to be Alexa Bliss. She's going to turn back into the goddess, and she's going to eventually challenge Becky Lynch for the top prize on Friday night in the division. Up next year, now Raw is going to go ahead and grab the Alpha Academy from SmackDown. Raw realized they need some more tag teams on the roster. Obviously, losing Stars and Amos is going to hurt. They like what they saw from the Alpha Academy over on Friday nights. Again, them and RK Pro, along with RK Pro and the Street Profits, is really reinventing the Raw Tag Team Division. Now, we get to round six here. We are now halfway for the draft, and Raw is going to select Keith Barrett Lee. The USA executives are seeing Keith Lee working some dark matches on main events. They love his potential. And losing almost to SmackDown Earth. They need a legitimate big man to take on Kerry and Cross, Big E, Bobby Lashley, and maybe even Brock Lesnar. Keith Lee is another one of those picks that Raw sees as a potential dark horse. Now, SmackDown's going to select Happy Corbin here. Happy Corbin provides good ratings for the blue brand in the mid-card division, and they see good value in retaining his services. Then, Raw will turn around and get Kevin Owens away from Happy Corbin. Because once KO could not take down the Tribal Chief of the Royal Rumble, he was lost on Friday night, mostly feuding with Sami Zayn, Apollo Crews, and Corbin. Raw sees him as a guy that just needs a fire under him, so they could get a steal here. Turning Owens heel, having him feud with Edge to start wouldn't be a bad idea at all. Obviously, two Canadians going at it. Yes, Owens' is contract is up in January, but USA is so they can convince him to stay if he's booked well on Raw. Going up next for SmackDown is going to be the return of Asuka. Because much like Kevin Owens, ever since showing the Raw Women's Championship to Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania, Asuka has lost almost all momentum and has been on TV since Money in the Bank. With the roster of Becky Wynn, Sasha Banks, and the ones of at this point, SmackDown feels it as a slew of women Asuka can get in the ring with to once again reach main event status. A feud with Becky Wynn for the SmackDown Women's Championship is also a good money making feud because we haven't seen Faith Asuka versus Steel Witch. And finally, to end the sixth round, Raw is going to select Nia Jax. They've seen her since she came up in the 2016 drought. They know her worth and they feel this is a good spot for her even after her elbow injury that was caused by Shayna Baszler. 
Adding her alongside Flair Belair, Nikki, and Rhea Ripley brings a good mix of styles to the women's side on Monday night. So Raw turns around then also at the start of Raw 7 and takes Sheamus. They have no idea Sheamus is still sitting there as we are in the back end of the draft. What he brings to the table is a reliable veteran who can slide right into the U.S. or tag team title picture at any time. So then with Raw taking Nia Jax, SmackDown turns around and takes Shayna Baszler. Obviously, SmackDown feels like they can't pass up on the Queen of Spades at this point. Raw had the opportunity to take her over Jax, but they pass. Baszler will turn face and want at the man, Becky Lynch, and the SmackDown Women's Championship in a WrestleMania 36 rematch. It would be good booking on Fox's part. With her UFC background, Baszler also fits into the sports mold Fox is looking for in their draft picks. Up next, Raw is going to get another potential gem in Cesaro. Now, after five years of being in a tag team with Tyson Kidd, Sheamus, and Shinsuke Nakamura, Cesaro got a little bit of a push. He got his first one-on-one WrestleMania match with Seth Rollins. A month later, he found himself in the main event picture battling Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. Cesaro looked like a stud even in the loss, but he has yet to recover. Over the last few months, he's been hanging in limbo on SmackDown. His last appearance was on August 27th when Otis destroyed him with a splash. Heading to Raw could give Cesaro a fresh start, and he could reunite with his former bar partner, Sheamus. And a heel bar versus RK Bro eventually would be a hell of a feud again. Getting more acting for RK Bro is what I like to see. Up next for SmackDown is going to be the Mysterios. And as much as it looks like Ray and Dominic are going to break up soon, and they may just very well do so in the draft to avoid a heel turn by Dominic, I'm totally against that logic. Look, I believe that Ray and Dominic need to add this WrestleMania 38 match that I've been booking in my SmackDown scores. The only way to do that is to draft them to the same brand, maybe have them feud one more time with the Usos before Dominic offs Ray Mysterio the Royal Rumble match. That would be my dream booking. And with the final pick in round number seven, Raw is going to select Commander Aziz without Apollo Crews. USA executives have seen the riff lately on SmackDown between Crews and his commander, and they decide to take a chance on Aziz, who, with the likes of Keith Lee, Seamus, Otis, and Karrion Cross, could bring a real big man presence to the red brand. Up next, Raw is going to select John Morrison. Now, obviously, John Morrison and Miz. Just split up recently, but Miz has been on Dancing with the Stars, and we haven't seen Morrison since he got tossed around by Amos. But we do know Morrison, when he does return, is a reliable mid-card babyface. And Raw doesn't have many of them at this point, and the USA executives know Morrison's abilities well. Up next with SmackDown, SmackDown's going to turn around, they're going to take the Miz, they're going to turn him heel. When you think of the Intercontinental Championship, Miz is the man you think of, he's held the prestigious gold nine times, and another reign with the belt is just what the doctor ordered for the former MTV star. If Miz does get drafted by the way to SmackDown, it would continue his streak of always switching brands in the draft since his debut in 2007. Up next, Raw will take Carmella, making Corey Graves happy that his girlfriend and him are back on the same brand. And SmackDown turns around and gets Liv Morgan. Obviously, Liv and Carmella have been fighting forever. They need to get off the same brand. They need to go their separate ways. And with the final pick in round number eight, Raw is going to select Mansoor and Mustafa Ali to aid their tag team division. In round nine... They're going to turn around, Raw is, that is, and going to take Humberto Carrillo and Drew Gulak, who have looked good early on as a tag team, and they're not just going to want a tag team that just started on their brand but potentially leave for SmackDown. So with Raw taking all these tag teams, SmackDown says, okay, somehow, some way, Apollo Crews is still on the board because Raw didn't take uh, him. They took Commander Aziz instead. SmackDown snatched him up to see if they can get him back on track. We saw him early in 2020 talking to Paul Heyman and the Tribal Chief. Maybe that's where he goes for help. Number three here in the ninth round for Raw, they're going to select Eva Marie. Eva Marie, obviously, as the, the beautifulness back in on Monday nights as they hope she can find success over the next year. SmackDown is going to take the Viking Raiders before they lose another tag team to Monday Night Raw. And Raw takes another tag team here in Jinder Mahal, Shanky, and Veer. Going into round number 10, Raw is going to select Ricochet. 
and they can go off the Penn Oldman TV round of the mock draft. The USA executives select a man who they cannot believe is still on the board. Ricochet is always at the talent. They're hoping this year he can figure it out. SmackDown selects the former WWE Women's Tag Team Champion, Natalya Antimina. Raw selects Dewdrop. SmackDown gets another tag team in the Dirty Dogs. And Raw gets another tag team in Mace and T-Bar. This leads to the final round of the televised portion of the draft where Raw will select 24-7 champion Reggie before it's too late. They make sure the 24-7 championship stays on Raw. Tony Storm goes to SmackDown. Raw selects Zelina Vega. SmackDown selects Chauncey and Knox. And with the final televised pick of the 2021 WWE mock draft here, Raw is going to select Elias, a man who claims he is dead, but a man who had so much potential if used right. Elias from 27 to 2019 was one of the hottest superstars on Raw and interacted with John Cena twice at WrestleMania during that time. Raw knows he's talented, and if he gets his new character right, this could be a home run pick for them with the last pick of the televised portion of the draft. So we get to this to the supplemental picks. I believe Raw selects our true to help chase Reggie in the 24-7 championship. SmackDown has another tag team in Lucha House Party. Raw is going to select Cedric Alexander. SmackDown is going to select the former NXT woman champion, Io Shirai. And Raw is going to select Jackson Riker. This leads to the following free agents. Sami Zayn, Shelton Benjamin, Akira Tozawa, Drew Gulak, Dana Brooke and Naomi. I believe Sami Zayn, Sheldon Benjamin, Akira Dazawa, Drew Gulak, and Dana Brooke all signed with Monday Night Raw. Listen, the perfect storyline coming out of this draft would be if Zayn doesn't get drafted, right? Proving there really is a conspiracy theory against him. WWE could even promote him as being forgotten and signing him as the biggest free agent in WWE history, with Raw and SmackDown getting him into a bidding war with Raw eventually becoming the winner. Now, we know Naomi is going to eventually sign with SmackDown. That is playing into her storyline with Sonya Deville. But those are really the two biggest free agents, Sami Zayn and Naomi. Sami Zayn goes to Raw. Naomi goes to SmackDown. Once Lacey Evans returns from her pregnancy, she will wind up on Raw. By the way, Bailey, once she recovers from her ACL injury, will wind up on SmackDown. So that leads the following roster. Raw. Their singles faces are Big E, the WWE Champion, Damian Priest, the United States Champion, Edge, Cesaro, John Morrison, Ricochet, Reggie, R-Truth, Jackson Riker, and Shelton Benjamin. Definitely a lot better than what they had before. Their heel single competitors, Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, Karrion Cross, AJ Styles, Keith Lee, Kevin Owens, Sheamus, Commander Aziz, Elias, and then the 24-7 championship crew along with Sami Zayn. Folks, that is one L of a heel roster to get Big E to be championship competition. They're tag teams. They're going to have RK Bro, The New Day, and the Street Profits as phase. Those are probably three of the best teams in WWE. The Heels, the Alpha Academy, Monsoor Mustafa Ali, Umberto Carrillo, and Angel Garza, Jinder Mahal, Shanky, and Veer, as well as Mason T-Bar. Raw, adding the Street Profits, adding the Alpha Academy, uh, and as well as making Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza a bigger push, that will completely redo the tag team division. Their women's faces are Bianca Belair and the Women's Tag Team Championships, as well as Dewdrop and Dana Brooke. The heels are going to be Charlotte Flair, Nia Jax, Carmella, Eva Marie, Zelina Vega, and Lacey Evans when she returns from pregnancy. Admittedly, Raw needs some more strength in the women's division, but obviously we're setting up that main event WrestleMania match between Charlotte and Bianca Belair. On the SmackDown side, the faces are going to be Intercontinental Champion Shinsuke Nakamura, Jeff Hardy, Finn Bauer, and the big baby face will be Drew McIntyre. On the heel side is obviously going to be Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Amos, Happy Corbin, The Miz, and Apollo Crews. I set this up to give Nakamura a lot of challengers for the Intercontinental Championship and I set up a potential WrestleMania match between Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre. 
the tag teams are going to need work because they only have the Mysterios and the Viking Raiders. Heels are going to be the Usos, the Dirty Dogs, and Lucha House Party. I do anticipate some eventual NXT call-ups for SmackDown on the tag team side. The phases in the women's division are going to be Alexa Bliss, Asuka, Liv Morgan, Tony Storm, Sanchi, and Knox, Iazurai, and eventually Naomi. Yes, that's a lot of phases. The reason why we did this is, again, setting up the feuds for Becky Lynch as the SmackDown Women's Champion, who also has Sasha Banks, Shayna Baszler, the former tag team champions, and Natalya and Tamina, and Bayley once she recovers from injury. So I think this makes the roster a little bit more even. Obviously, SmackDown was more heavy from 2020 to 2021. I think this will get Big E some legitimate challengers on the Raw side. I think it gives Roman Reigns fresh challengers. Shinsuke Nakamura, Damian Priest. And that's what I was looking for with these big moves. Freshen up the roster and give the current champions new fresh challengers to face. And that concludes this episode today of Brandon's World, folks. Again, this was the biggest Brandon's World in the last six months. I appreciate you all for listening. Again, thank you for listening to my MOE predictions, my NFL best bets and predictions, as well as my thoughts on wrestling. Enjoy this weekend. Enjoy football. Enjoy the new draft. And as a reminder, we'll see you on Tuesday for the next podcast. Again, our podcast next week will go Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Peace!